Matthew chapter 9, and we'll read just the first two verses of the chapter here, Matthew 9. And he, that's Christ, entered into a ship and passed over and came into his own city. And behold, they brought to him a man sick of the palsy, lying on a bed. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, be of good cheer. Thy sins be forgiven thee. Amen. We'll end there just at the end of reading those first two verses. And let's seek the Lord in prayer this afternoon and ask his help as we have our Bibles open before us this afternoon. Let's pray. Our Father, we do thank you that you care about your people. We thank you that when you come to those that you dealt with in the scriptures, you were mindful not only for their physical state, but you were also at the same time very mindful of their emotions, the needs of their heart, and you addressed such things. And we thank you that you care for us. We thank you that you are a God of tender mercies and one of great compassion. And we pray that this afternoon you would comfort our hearts as we consider something of Christ's love and compassion for his people. And we pray that you would encourage us in the scriptures today, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. This afternoon, I want to focus your attention on that little phrase toward the end of verse number two, where Christ says to this man, be of good cheer, be of good cheer. I don't know if in your own personal life you have ever been in a place that you would identify as depression. Uh, There are some who would throw up their hands in frustration and say, well, a Christian is not supposed to be depressed. If you're you're really trusting the Lord, then you can't be in depression. Well, I would argue with that and, and say that that's not the case at all. Even the Lord's people face very deep and very dark circumstances in their own experience. I do believe that for a believer, uh, that is something that a believer can enter into, but I don't believe that they live there for a long time. Now, what a long time is might be different in each circumstance, but one that is truly a believer in Christ is preserved and kept by the power of God, and we believe in that preservation of the believer. The, some refer to it as the perseverance of the believer. Um, But it is God preserving those that are his, keeping those that are his, drawing near to those that are his. And we are to draw near to the Lord, but the Lord also draws us to himself. And so while depression for the believer is a real thing, I believe it's for the believer a temporary thing. And the Lord brings his people, as I've already said several times already, to himself. But I believe in those circumstances, it's good for us to pay attention to what the scriptures say. In, in, in essence, in this text, in this phrase, 
the Lord comes to his people and he tells them to cheer up. Be of good cheer. Cheer up. This is really similar to another phrase that we find in the scriptures many times where the Lord encounters one of his people or or groups of people and he says to them, fear not. It's very similar. If you were to look up all those times that we find that phrase, fear not, in the New Testament, you would discover something very interesting. In each of the circumstances where the Lord says, fear not, what's happening, anybody with any sense at all would be scared to death. They would be afraid. Because what was happening was, from a human perspective, hard, terrible, fearful, scary. But yet the Lord's compassionate words, understanding our frame, understanding that we are but dust, he says to his people, fear not. And in this circumstance, he says to this man, be of good cheer. When you and I face circumstances that are so discouraging or disappointing, the Lord would say that same thing to us, cheer up, be of good cheer. There's a lot of things for us as believers to be happy about, to be cheerful about, and I would submit to you that even when times are bad, if we just step back from that for just a moment and kind of calm down and look at what's really happening, it's not that bad. Everything's okay. God is in control. Right? We're all Calvinists, right? So if we took a theology test, is God in control, true or false, we would all pass that test. We all know God is in control. We all know God is sovereign. We all know that he upholds all things by the word of his power. We know all that stuff. We know it. Now, we don't doubt these truths. But in the heat of the moment, things can be so, in our mind, out of control, chaotic, that we worry ourselves to death. But we don't need to. The Lord says, be of good cheer. The Lord would say, fear not, but, but be of good cheer. What I want to do this, this afternoon, just very briefly, Pastor Bannister said that the afternoon message was normally a little bit shorter. I think one of his relatives disagreed with that statement, but that will be beside the point for, for the sake of argument here. Um, but I, I do want to be a little bit briefer, um, a, a little bit more devotional in our thoughts. And I know I'm coming two times in a row here with a topical message, and you're going to think, oh, Derek just preaches topical sermons. I, I don't. I, I tend to preach more expository-type messages. It just so happens the Lord has led me to these two um, topical uh, messages for today. But I want to look at five times in the New Testament that we find that phrase, be of good cheer. Five times the Lord says this to his people, be of good cheer. And I'm going to admit to you, uh, I have stolen three of these directly, unashamedly. I've stolen them directly from Dr. Alan Cairns in a devotional book he did. The first three come directly from him, at least the the title of my my point. Um, Some of the substance underneath is a little bit different than than what he has to say. Um, But I unashamedly steal the first three. Uh, The other two we'll see in the book of Acts. 
Dr. Cairns did not address those particular points, but uh, I think they are of some value to us to consider how the Lord tells his people to be of good cheer. And so the first one we'll consider is here in Matthew chapter 9 and verse number 2. And that is the fact that we can be of good cheer because of Christ's pardon, because of his pardon. He says to this man who is sick of the palsy, he's laying on his bed, and Jesus, seeing the faith of his friends that had brought him, he said to this man, be of good cheer. And then what's after that is not be of good cheer, now you can walk. Not be of good cheer, your legs are made whole. Although all that happened, he, he was able to get up and walk. He, he was made whole. But the Lord says, be of good cheer, thy sins be forgiven thee. So while this man was healed physically, that wasn't Christ's focus in, in, his, in his communication to this man. Be of good cheer because your sins are forgiven. Be of good cheer because your sins have been washed away. Be of good cheer because now you you have a right standing before the God of, of heaven. And so even before this man was healed physically, while he was still laying there in his bed, while he was still a man sick with this palsy, before the healing, Christ could say be of good cheer. Because there was something more important than just that healing. And the reason that this man could be cheerful is because his sins were forgiven. What more could he want? What good would it be for this man to be healed of his physical condition only to continue on in his sin? Only to be, to be healed of his physical condition and, if I can allude to another passage of Scripture, to enter into hell fire with both of his legs made whole. What good would that be? But Christ says, no, you can be of good cheer because I've forgiven your sins. What more could we want? And in that, that was the greater miracle. The greater miracle was that this man's sins were forgiven. And so we can rejoice and we can be of good cheer because of the pardon of our sins that we have in Christ Jesus. I hope you know that pardon in your own heart. I know, I, I, I trust, I pray that you know that day that your, your sins were washed away as Pastor Bannister was speaking from that catechism lesson. Uh, you must be born again. Uh, there's a new birth. And in that new birth, that conversion, that faith and repentance, and the Lord coming and justifying you and taking away your sins and putting those sins on Christ and Christ's righteousness imputed to you, that pardon of sin that we have in Christ. We can be a good cheer. And that regardless of the circumstances we face, regardless of all the chaos around us, be of good cheer. But a second one, I'll ask you to turn over to Matthew 14. Matthew 14. Just a couple pages over there in your Bible. This is verse number 27. Matthew 14, 27. And here we have a a good cheer and be not afraid put right next to each other in the same verse. Matthew fourteen twenty seven. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I. Be not afraid. 
The context here is Christ walking on the water. These poor disciples, uh, fishermen, many of them, very familiar with that sea, very familiar with the storms that would have come up in that place. But these men on this ship were there in, in fear of their lives. Christ had sent them on ahead. You remember Christ was up praying and he, he sees them down there. Uh, the language that's used in scripture is he sees his disciples, he sees them toiling and rowing. And what we have here is the fact that we can be of good cheer because of Christ's presence with us. Christ's presence with his people. Even in the midst of chaos, even in the midst of very difficult circumstances, like I say, these, these fishermen thought that they were going down with the ship. They thought it was over. And Christ had seen them there. He saw them in the storm. He saw them toiling and rowing. He, he saw them trying to get desperately to the other side. And the Lord comes to them and he tells them, be of good cheer. It's I. I'm here. I'm with you. Everything's going to be okay. You don't need to be afraid anymore. I'm with you. And we can be of good cheer because of Christ's presence. The Lord has promised, has he not, that he will never leave us and he will never forsake us. In the midst of the trouble, you, know, you, you may have asked yourself, you, you may have been too afraid to say the words out loud, but you, you've said something to the effect, Lord, where are you? Lord, where are you in this? Lord, why would, why would you let such a thing happen? Do you not understand? Do you not know what's going on? But no, the Lord is with his people. The Lord's presence is with us. And because of that, we can be of good cheer. The next one is in John 16. There's an interesting context here in John 16. In John 13, Christ is with his disciples in the upper room. In John 14, all of John, John 13 to 17 happens in the space of just a couple hours. So they're in the upper room and they leave and as, as they're walking you know, eventually to the Garden of Gethsemane. Christ is kind of preaching as he's walking, talking to them as he's walking. And John 14 is, you know, I go away to prepare a place for you. And they say, you know, we don't know where you're going. And it's in that context, it's in, it's in this, this kind of walking sermon, Christ is talking to them, explaining more of what's going to happen He's told them already that the Comforter's going to come. We looked at that verse this morning. The Comforter's going to come. He's going to be with them. But here what we have in John 16, verse 33, is that we can be of good cheer because of Christ's power. His power. John 16, 33. These things I have spoken unto you, that in me he might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation. Be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. We we can have this peace, this cheer. You know, there's there's a lot of synonyms I think we can use here and language that overlaps in what what this is, but this is a peace that only God can provide. This this cheer of heart that, that we're talking about this afternoon is not walking around with a fake smile. It's not it's not pretending as if everything is okay when it's really not. We're not this isn't make-believe. We as Christians are not called upon to live in a fairy tale. 
We live in reality. We live in the real world. We live in sin. We live in chaos. But even in the midst of that, above it all, we can have a peace that passes all understanding. We can have a calm of spirit that the world just simply doesn't know. And here we're pointed more specifically to the power of Christ because he, he's honest with his disciples. You're going to have tribulation. Just face it, you're going to have it. You're going to have difficulty. You're going to have opposition. You're going to have people that hate you. You're going to have coworkers that hate you. You're going to have other family members that hate you. You're going to have people despise everything that you stand for. They're going to criticize you. They're going to ridicule you. It's going to be awful. You're going to have tribulation. But he says, be of good cheer. Because I've overcome the world. And if we put this in its larger context of the power of Christ, this man that for now three, three and a half years or so, these disciples had followed and hung on every word. Now he drops a bombshell on them. I'm going to leave you. What? What do you mean, leave? And so he explains that and he says not to worry. I'm going to send you a comforter. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's going to guide you. I've been guiding you. The Holy Spirit is going to guide you. And he's displaying his power in, in that. That even though he's not physically there present with them, he by his spirit is with them, taking care of them. You know, ironically, uh, th- this point comes after this, the second point is be of good cheer because of Christ's presence. Well, now <laughs> I'm telling you that you know, Christ is physically not present anymore. But he is still present. But he, he's present in, in the power of the Holy Spirit, helping us, leading us, guiding us, comforting us, upholding us. You know, he had told them, I'm going to go away. But he said, I'm going to come again. I'm going to come. I'm going to receive you to myself. That where I am there, you may be also. He's going to prepare a place. But all this is evidence and display of his, of his great power. And in this whole discourse, even in the midst of the tribulation that he told them was going to come, his response to that was, be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. My power has conquered this. This mess is not all that there is. And we have every reason to be cheerful because Christ has overcome the world. His power and his control over all the circumstances of this life is something that we as believers take great comfort in. We take great rest in the fact that Christ is doing all things well. Uh, I, I I like in talking about the attributes of God. Um, many of you will know uh, who David Brame is. He was a, a professor in our seminary way back in the day when I was in the seminary for the Free Church. And he had the class that was going over the attributes of God, the part of systematic theology, theology proper, studying God, who God is. And one of the things that he did, and I've never heard anybody else do it this way, but he, he talks about the attributes of God. So we talk about God's wisdom. 
And we talk about God's power and we talk about the love of God and the, the omnipotence of God and the omniscience of God and all these different attributes. But one of the things that he would do when he, when he finished the lectures on all these individual things is he would take attributes and put them side by side with one another. And so we know that God is all-powerful. God can do anything that is within his nature to be done. There, there's nothing that limits him. He can do anything that needs to be done for, for his people, for his own glory. And then he put next to that the wisdom of God. The fact that not only can God do all things, but in his wisdom, he does those things in the very best possible way that they can be done. He cannot do anything the second best way. He can only do it the best way. And so God can do all things for his own glory, for the good of his people, and he does it the best way. And so what does that mean practically for me and for you? It means that whatever circumstances I'm, I'm facing, God has allowed them. Why? I don't know. But he has. I say I don't know. I don't know other than he's allowed it for his glory and he has allowed it for my good. And I know it's the best possible thing that can happen to me right now because God does all things well. God does all things perfectly. God hasn't messed up. God hasn't lost control. It, it didn't slip out of his hands. And whatever I'm facing, whatever you're facing, in the moment, it's easy for us to perceive that it's horrible. It's so bad. It's, it hurts. But God has brought it. He's brought it for our good. He's brought it for our sanctification. He's brought it for our growth in grace. But have you ever thought about this? Not only has he brought it for your growth and grace, but he's brought your problem into your life also for somebody else's growth and grace. Because somebody's watching you respond to that. You've got friends and you've got family members. They're going through that with you. They're struggling in their own way, but they're struggling too. And the Lord is using it. His power is being displayed. We can be of good cheer because God cares for us. God loves us. He's not doing the wrong thing. He's taking care of us. He's giving us exactly what we need. He's giving us exactly the right dose. He doesn't put things greater than we're able to bear. He knows our frame. He knows that we're but dust. He knows our breaking point. And the Lord doesn't break his people in that way. He, he, he breaks them in humility, perhaps. But he's not out to, to crush. He's not out to afflict wounds and harm. That's not how God works. That's not what God does. That's not the God of the Bible. The power of God is something that we can take great comfort in. I want you to turn over to Acts chapter 23 for our next one. The fourth time this phrase is used. There's a little bit of overlap in 
some of the things I've just been saying. But we see in Acts 23 and verse number 11 that we can be of good cheer because of Christ's providence. Again, I admit there's some overlap here, but a little bit different perspective. Acts 23 and verse 11, And the night following, the Lord stood by him, that's by the Apostle Paul, the Lord stood by Paul and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem, so must thou bear witness also at Rome. Be of good cheer, Paul. Your work here is finished. And now I have a job for you to do someplace else. This is, this is what the Lord has, has said to Paul. I've had you in Jerusalem. You've been my servant here. Faithful. But now it's time for you to bear witness for me in another place. I have a job for you elsewhere. Paul, be of good cheer. This is, this is God's providential leading over his servants. Uh, taking them from one place to another place. Paul was in the center of the Lord's will in Jerusalem. Paul wasn't in the wrong place. He wasn't doing the wrong thing. He was doing exactly what God called him to do at that time. But now the Lord, in his providence, was going to be moving Paul to another place of service. He was, he was, he was diverting Paul's pathway to another place. His plan and purpose for Paul in Jerusalem was finished. And now God had a plan and purpose for Paul in, in Rome. But all that was going on in Jerusalem, all that the Lord worked in Paul's heart while he was in Jerusalem, God used that in Paul to make Paul who he was so that when he got to Rome, Paul was the man he was in Rome. And, and you know the aftermath of some of that. Paul in Rome, a house prisoner, and the Praetorian Guard, the Caesar's Secret Service, that's basically what they amounted to, there were people in Caesar's secret service that came to faith in Christ because of the testimony of the Apostle Paul. In a sense, infiltrated Caesar's own household. Right, right, right in, in Caesar's palace, there was a witness for the gospel. But that was God's providential leading Paul from one place to another place. None of us knows where the Lord will take us. You know, some of you young people... I look around at, at many young people who are at that perfect age of asking yourself that very serious question, what would God have me to do? You know, what kind of profession am I going to be in? What, what, what does God want me to be when I grow up? Do I need to go to college and study something? Do I need to pursue a trade in this or that? You know, Lord, what do you want me to do? And, and I would very greatly encourage you to ask that question. Lord, what would thou have me to do? And whatever the Lord calls you to do, do that. But you know, the Lord might not show you exactly what you're going to be doing five years from now. Because if the Lord showed you exactly what you'd be up to five years from now, man, you'd run the other way faster than Jonah. Because it'd scare you to death. You're not ready for that now. Now, five years from now, you'll be ready for that. That'll be fine. And the Lord will take you there. And the Lord will guide your steps along the way. The Lord and his providence will take you from one thing to the next as you follow the Lord day by day. But that's the point, follow the Lord. And the Lord will, the Lord will lead you there. 
But, you know, the Lord might not reveal what, what you're going to be doing five years from now, ten years from now. You know, you husbands and wives, you might, you know, sit down from time to time and, you know, look at your finances, look at your budget, look at, look at your house, look at, look at what you have and look at your career and, you know, where are we going? What do we want to do? do you know, are we going to live in this house forever? Are we going to move to another house? My career, am I going to change jobs? Am I going to try to get a promotion to this different position? And, and, and you, you know, you work on all those things. And the Lord in His providence moves His people and takes them where they need to be. But trust the Lord in that. Follow the Lord in that. But we can be a good cheer as believers because the Lord's not going to lead us the wrong way. The Lord's not going to lead us down the wrong path as we're sensitive to his will and sensitive to his leading, as, as Paul obviously was, we can be of good cheer because the Lord has a plan and purpose for his people. And as we follow that, we're happy. We're cheerful. Be of good cheer because of the Lord's providence. And then one last one over in Acts 27. This is the last time we find this phrase in Scripture. Acts 27, verse 22 Paul's on his way to Rome now. And you know the story of the, the shipwreck. But here we, we have the phrase twice in this little section, but I'm counting it just as one thing because it's, it's really here. We can be of good cheer because of, of Christ's promises, his promises to us as people. And so look at Acts 27, 22. And this is Paul speaking. And now I exhort you to be of good cheer. For there shall be no loss of any man's life among you, but of the ship. For there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve, saying, Fear not, Paul. You know, here's another one of those fear nots, and he ought to be afraid because the ship's about to go down. But he says, Fear not, Paul, though thou be brought before Caesar, and lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. And then Paul addressing the, the people on the ship again, he says, Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe God that it shall be even as it was told me. And so here we do have something a little bit different. This is not God speaking directly to, to his people as we have in the Gospels and as we saw in that last passage in Acts. But this is Paul, God's servant, uh, preaching maybe that's a little overstating what he's doing but he, he's speaking to these people on the ship and he, he tells them be of good cheer because i believe god believe what god has said and, and and the god that i serve is a god who keeps his promises he's a god who's never let me down he, he's the god that i've been following my life since he saved me and his promises are true I believe God that it shall be even as it was told me. And so this is Paul's journey there to Rome and this terrible storm and the people on the ship, again, feared fear of their lives. But the Lord had revealed to Paul, everyone is going to be saved. The ship will be lost, but no lives will be lost. Everybody's going to get out of this alive. The ship destroyed, but the people will make it. And Paul tells the people, you don't need to be afraid. You can you be of good cheer because God has promised this. Now those people, they weren't believers. We don't, I mean, we don't know who's on that ship, but they're, you know, they weren't believers on that ship. These are not faithful Christian people. Paul's a prisoner on this ship being taken to Rome. And Paul had already been told by the Lord, 
Paul, be of good cheer. Uh, I've used you in Jerusalem. Now you're going to Rome. Paul already knew that it was inevitable for him to make it to Rome. So Paul knew he wasn't going to perish because the Lord had told him as much. And now he had revealed to Paul about these people. You're not going to perish either. Be of good cheer. I believe God. I believe God's promises. And we can be of good cheer because God keeps his promises. He doesn't mislead us as his people. He doesn't break his word to us. His word is faithful and his word is is true. You know, we, in recent days, if you turn on your television or you pull up your internet and you start to pay attention to all the noise and all the chatter and all the chaos and all the media and all the social media, you would be afraid and you would be discouraged because there are fearful things taking place. And there are very discouraging things happening. Discouraging decisions made in Washington. Discouraging decisions made in this, that, or the other government. Bad things. Sinful things. And there's no wonder why so many people are depressed and discouraged. Sin is depressing. The consequences of sin are depressing. But as believers, the Lord has called us to look away from those things. We're to set our affections on things above, not on things on the earth. If you set your affections on things on the earth, they're just going to disappoint you. Um, Many of you know and I appreciate the prayers this morning for my wife's father, Greg Munger. Uh, He was a a very long-time serving elder in our church in Winston-Salem. He's actually from... Terre Haute? No, Indianapolis. He's from Indianapolis. He's from this area. And so that's how my wife knew something of the very beginnings of this church. When it it was just started, um, the church used to meet in the the house up here before this building was. Um, But Lydia's father, Greg, now uh, has a terminal cancer diagnosis. And he said just recently, I'm happier now than I've ever been my whole life. Because his affections are not set on this world. Greg was a lover of music. A lover of Tar Heel basketball. Liked sports. Would watch the game. Was involved in many things. His his work and, and all the rest. But Lydia and I were talking on the drive here. You know, now that he's come to the end of his days... The things that bring him the greatest joy is not that number eight Carolina beat number one Baylor yesterday in the basketball tournament. That's not what gets him all excited. And his love of music is tremendous. His love of good music. He's, he's a violin player of the first order. Tremendous. But it's not that that, that brings him joy. If you were to go to his house right now, he would introduce himself to you. And within about three or four sentences, you'd be talking about the Lord. You'd you'd be talking about some verse of scripture. Because that's where his heart is. That's where his heart is. And and he's, he's cheerful. He's happy. Like never before. 
like never in his whole life. He can be of good cheer because he knows he's, he's safe in, in the arms of Jesus. He knows his future is secure. And the Lord over and over in the scriptures reveals that to us, be of good cheer, especially because of his promises. His promises are, are true and steadfast. And so the Lord's called us to look away from this life and to look to him instead. And as we look to him, we can be of good cheer. Amen. Let's close in prayer. May the Lord bless us today. Our Father, we do thank you this afternoon for your word. And we know that really what we've considered this afternoon is not earth-shattering, groundbreaking theology. Uh, we've not looked at anything complicated. Uh, we've, we've not looked at anything deep and philosophical. But we've considered just the, the plain sense of Scripture. And in your very plain communication to us, your people, as a heavenly father would communicate to his children, as, as a wise, instructive teacher would communicate with his student. And we thank you that you have instructed us to be of good cheer, even in difficult circumstances, even in very trying times. And so we pray that you would, by your Spirit, work this in our own hearts. We, we pray that you'd forgive us for so often being fretful, so often being uh, just overcome with anxiety and trouble and complaining and, and difficulty. But we pray that you would calm our spirit and make us to be a cheerful, happy people, rejoicing in the Lord. We pray as has been prayed already for this week that's before us, we each have different responsibilities in the home, in the workplace. We pray for strength to meet each of those. We pray for your provision to us. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.